Hello, there we are. All right, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 52. Our passage for this morning. Matthew 13, starting in verse 44 through 52. And the word of the Lord says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. In 2010, there was a man named Forrest Finn, and he was a World War II veteran. He turned into an art collector and an art dealer, and he hid a 10-inch by 10-inch box somewhere in the Rocky Mountains as his own personal treasure hunt. I'm not sure if you've heard about this, but it's kind of exciting. We uh, like to vacation in Colorado, so you know the thought of possibly finding this treasure was always exciting. I didn't find it. Uh, but it's estimated that over 250,000 people actually searched for this treasure. And it was not insignificant. He actually hid nuggets of gold and a lot of fine jewels in it, estimated to be worth anywhere between $1 million and $2 million. So it was pretty significant. He had done pretty well in his art collecting. But he just he wanted to do this hunt. He wrote a poem and included a treasure map in it. He called it the thrill of the chase, right? And he just wanted to inspire this adventureness in other people. And so a lot of people looked for it and uh, some people even died trying to find it. There's officially at least four people who passed away looking for this treasure somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, but eventually, it was found. Uh, he said someone found it in 2020, and so it's not there anymore. You can't go on your own treasure hunt, at least right now. But just that idea of treasure exciting us really stands out, right? This idea of a modern-day treasure hunt. We read about pirates and their buried treasure, and we wonder, hey, will I ever find something stumbling across a trail? Or you might have heard about the person in... Arkansas, who found this giant diamond as they were walking at the state park, right? Just that idea of finding treasure excites us, uh, whether it's because we find something that no one else has ever found, right? We were able to figure the riddle out ourselves before someone else, uh, 
or just the idea of, hey, we'd be rich, right? We would, we would have what we needed. We would, uh, wouldn't have to worry or be anxious about money, right? We would, in a certain sense, we could know that we'd be happy <laughs> to a certain extent because we could have what we need, right, with that treasure. And so all of these things go into this idea of treasure. Treasure is what people want, is what excites them. Well, this morning in this passage, Jesus talks about a treasure. He talks about two treasures, the treasure hidden in the field and the pearl of great price that this man finds. And both of these treasures really offer this same excitement, this same joy, the same security and happiness that we think about with finding treasure. And he, as he talks about it, he also uh, really tells us that it, it doesn't come with any of the extra worries. You know, if you were to find gold, well, then you got to think about how to store it, how to keep it safe, uh, how to not let anyone steal it, how to not get uh, robbed yourself, right? There are lots of worries that can come with increase in money, but Jesus's treasure doesn't come with any of those extras, but it is is kept safe for us. It's not dependent on us holding on to it. And he tells this these parables, but really, as we think about these two parables of the treasure, one thing that stands out and we have to think about is, what is this treasure? What is the treasure that he's talking about? This is you remember Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of heaven. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Well, what is this treasure? We, uh, we think about heaven sometimes. I don't know what the first thought that comes to your head when you think about heaven is. Maybe it's the, the lack of sorrow. No more tears, no more crying anymore. Maybe it's everything made right. Maybe it's uh, the streets of gold and being reunited with people, right? There are lots of good things that come to mind when we think about heaven and the goodness that will be there. Specifically, when we talk about heaven, Peter writes about the new heavens and the new earth. That's really the, the idea of heaven in our minds this morning. What is that going to be like? We wait for it. We wait for that day where we will spend eternity. And in that new heaven and that new earth, it will really, it'll be like a new garden of Eden in a certain sense. We see this uh, throughout the Bible, not just in Peter, but also in the book of Revelation. If you read the end of the book of Revelation, it describes heaven, this new heavens and new earth, in the same kind of terms as it described the Garden of Eden. We see still a river there. We see the tree of life. We see really life as it was meant to be in the beginning, as God created it. And we can think, we can let our imagination run a little bit and think about what that would mean for culture, what that would mean for creativity, what that would mean for relationships, right? If things had not gone wrong, that's what it will be like one day in this new heavens and new earth. But all of those things are really not the treasure of heaven. Those are the, the results, the goodness that comes from the treasure, but really that's not the source of it. As we read about the new heavens and the new earth throughout the Bible, one thing 
continually comes up time and again. And it's this idea that we will be with God. We'll be in the presence of God. He will be our God. We will be his people. We'll be there in his presence. And so whenever we read about the new heavens and the new earth, we see this. Uh, 1 Thessalonians is one place to think of, right? This is a, a, a section you usually hear read at funerals, but it says this, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. That's the hope. That's the hope that we hold on to when life is ending. But that's the hope that we look forward to. We will always be with the Lord. Revelation 21 says something similar as it talks about John. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And we see that phrase that God will dwell with his people. This is the emphasis we see in the Bible when we see this treasure. What is it that makes heaven glorious? It is that God is there, and we are there with him. And so it's not just that things will be made right, but someone will make those things right. God will do all these things. And so if we are with God in heaven, then we have nothing to fear, no anxieties, no worries. We have this peace, this security, this joy. We have treasure, true valuable treasure because we are with him and that's what this parable is teaching us this is the treasure of being a christian of being a part of the kingdom we know god and so this is something we see in this passage that this man who finds this treasure he's willing to give up everything he has in order to get it right he says it says for joy he goes and sells all that he has. He, he knows that this is more valuable than anything. He's willing to lose everything else in order to have this treasure, in order to know God, to be with God. And so that's really what it means to be a Christian. To become a Christian means we surrender all. We surrender all. We sing the song, right? We surrender control. We surrender the, the direction, the uh, of our lives, we understand that we have nothing to offer to God, but that he has everything to offer to us. And we come, we, we know we're sinners, but we accept the forgiveness of the Savior. And so we simply receive him and rest in him. And the same principle applies not just when we receive this treasure initially, when we become Christians, but it applies even after we're Christians as well. We 
uh, we know that there are still remnants of sin that remain right around us, but in us as well. And not just that, but uh, those those weights, those burdens that Hebrews talks about. Maybe not sinful, but the things that hold us down, hold us back from knowing more of God, of following Him more. And so as we read about this man, we understand that in our lives, we, we also should be willing to give up whatever is necessary in order to gain this treasure, in order to know God more. Right now in our lives, would we be willing to give up more money if it meant that we would know God more? Would we take a smaller salary or would we pass up on certain uh, you know, re- reimbursement if it meant we actually know God more? Would we be willing to give up more of our free time or travel or hobbies if it meant we get more of God? Would we be willing to give up close friends and family and not be close to them because it meant, hey, following God means moving across the world and being a missionary, right? Or would we be willing to uh, be put in jail? If it meant we know God more. We read this as the testimony of Paul in the Bible. And we sing the song again. Wherever he leads, I'll go. And that is what we see here in this parable. That's what it means to treasure God above all else. To truly have him as our treasure. And so I was reading um, this last week in my normal Bible reading. And uh, I'm in the book of Daniel right now. And one of the things examples we see from that book is the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see them have this same kind of value for the Lord. You know the story, right? The king threatens them that they'll be thrown into the fiery furnace unless they bow down and worship the golden image, and they make the clear statement that they will not serve his gods or worship the golden image, no matter what, even if it means that they will die. They value God more. And we see that play out in their lives, of what it means to treasure the Lord. We see it with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3. You remember the, the famous phrase, I count all things lost. I count them as refuse, as garbage, in order that I may gain Christ, in order that I may know Him more. This was the testimony of Paul, the example he gives of this great treasure that knowing Christ Jesus as Lord and knowing him more is worth it more than anything else we might gain in the world. And so in order to, if it means giving anything else up, Paul would say it's worth it. That's his testimony to us. And we should trust what he says, what God says in his word and step out in faith and be willing to do that as well. And to really to taste and see that the Lord is good. It makes us cry out in our hearts, God, make us more like this. Make us treasure you more. It's our prayer this morning. And so if we have this treasure of knowing God, it's not just something that we have to wait for. Right, This treasure is not something that once heaven comes, then we get the treasure, but we don't have it now. It's something we partake in now. Now, we don't have the fullness of this treasure here on earth. That's important to remember. As a Christian, our life will only get better. 
here on earth, this is the worst our life will ever be. <laughs> and that's an encouraging thought. It will only get better from here. That's only true for Christians. For non-Christians, we'll see uh, in a moment with this other parable that this is as good as life will ever be. But for the, for the Christian, it only gets better. We know that one day the fullness of God will be in the fullness of God, will be in his presence. But until then, we get a little taste, a foretaste, a glimpse of it now. We're, um, we're coming up on Christmas, and uh, sometimes there are different, uh, different traditions about opening Christmas presents. I forgot to ask my parents about this before this morning. But this is what I remember about Christmas presents and Christmas Eve. So sometimes you'll let your kid open up a present on Christmas Eve. Well, let me back up. The hardest thing for any child is to wait until Christmas Day to open their presents, right? They will. If, well, that's why sometimes you hide the presents. Don't put them under the tree so you don't have to answer the questions and keep telling them no. You have to wait, right? But that's the hardest thing. And so sometimes you'll let them open it on Christmas Eve, maybe one. Uh, as a kid, I don't remember that when I was really little, right? We didn't open presents on Christmas Eve, but my mama would always give in, and so we'd get one present from her on Christmas Eve, but otherwise we had to wait. Uh, I think my parents loosened up a little bit when I got older and we adopted kids, uh, my brother and sister, uh, and so we would open one up, I think, later in life, but uh, otherwise we had to wait, right? Well, this idea of getting this present early, really when we think about this treasure, that's kind of what it's like, right? We have the Holy Spirit now. We have the presence of God. We have one of the presents. We don't have the fullness of what we will receive, but we have some of it, right? We have the fullness of God dwelling in us in the Holy Spirit, but things are not as they will be one day. But we get a little taste of it now. We get that peace, that security, that joy now. We have to work for it because we're still surrounded by sin in our lives or in the world around us, but it's still very real we still really have those things. We really have this treasure right now. And so this treasure is something that is we look forward to, but we also we have it right now, and that is reason to rejoice and give thanks uh, this time of year and every time of year. But Jesus, he knows that not everyone will receive this treasure. And so he follows up this parable with another parable that reminds us that not everyone will receive this treasure. Uh, sometimes you think about, you know, wanting to end the sermon on a, a positive note or wanting to end the conversation on a good note. Well, Jesus oftentimes did not do that. Uh, he oftentimes ended with the warning to remind us of where we should be headed, right? And that's what he does here. He ends with a warning. He tells us that the righteous will receive this treasure, right? The good fish, but the, the evil, the, the bad fish will be separated out and they will be destroyed. They will be suffering this eternal punishment in hell one day. Jesus warns us about the future. He warns us what's to come. Uh, it kind of makes me think about doomsday preppers. I know they've got a TV show about that. I don't think I've seen it. But this idea of a doomsday prepper, maybe you know someone like this. They think the world is going to end. 
right? And they'll store up food and really have quite elaborate bunker houses and be ready for an apocalyptic event, right? And they're probably, if you talk to them, maybe a little bit crazy <laughs> at times, right? Uh, because they're so devoted to this, right? Usually, if we were to hear someone tell us that the world is going to end and they give us a date, we would probably think either we'd just ignore it or we'd probably think, hey, you're maybe a little off, right? That's usually what we would think. And yet here, Jesus is telling us the end is coming. He doesn't give us a date, but he tells us clearly the end is coming. And this is our message as Christians. It's Jesus's message to us that the end is coming. And we must be prepared. We must know the difference between what it means to be righteous and what it means to be evil. Not only the difference, but by implication, we must strive to be righteous and not be counted amongst these evil fish. And so if we think about really the interpretation of this, we think about the history and background in the Bible leading up to this. We can think about how really this is the storyline that's been playing out since the beginning, since the Garden of Eden. Right? In the, in the garden, Adam and Eve walked with God. They were in the presence of God. We talked about that treasure being with him. Right? But then they were cast out. They were separated. They sinned. And that sin led to separation. And you, you could accurately say that most of the rest of the Bible in the Old Testament is about how people can be close to God again, how they can be in the presence of God again. How do sinful people who have been cast out of the garden, how can they be in the presence of God, in the presence of a holy God again? It's not possible for evil to be in his presence. So how is that possible? Well, really that reminds us that all of us are evil. And it's a problem not just in the Old Testament, but it's a problem for all of us. From beginning, from birth, we are, the Bible says, born sinful. And so this is not a hypothetical thing. This is a real thing as we read this parable. How do we escape from this destruction that will come? Well, we see that in the Old Testament as well. We see glimpses of it. Yes, the people were told on Mount Sinai, do not come near the mountain. Don't touch it. You will die. Again, you can't be in the presence of a holy God. And yet, one was able to go up. Moses went up. And so we get this glimpse of, well, there are, there's the example of a mediator, right? One who can mediate between God and us, who can bring God's word, his, uh, how we may live to us so that we can know God and not die. So we get this glimpse of a mediator. We see later in the Old Testament in Leviticus, the idea of the sacrificial system and the day of atonement specifically, right? The Holy of Holies is built, in the temple, and no one can enter in. This is the presence of God. Again, how can we dwell with God? Well, no one can, except one day a year, the high priest on the Day of Atonement can enter in because of the sacrifice, because of the atonement that's made through the sacrifice. And so we get these glimpses that we need a mediator, we need a, a substitution, a a payment of blood to be back in God's presence. And we get those glimpses, and then Jesus comes, and we see the fullness, the fullness of what these pictures are, of what's been 
being played out throughout the Old Testament. Right? This is how Jesus fulfills these prophecies of how we can be made righteous. And so we understand, when we understand these truths, really what we're doing is we're practicing verse 51 and 52. Really what we just walked through. As Jesus says, have you understand these things? He said, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old, right? When we understand the truths that have been written throughout the Bible, the Old Testament before Jesus, we understand these truths are not new. We know these old treasures that are here. And yet, as Christians, we understand, understand something new about them, that Jesus has come, that he is the fulfillment of everything that was pointed to in the Old Testament. And so as a citizen of the kingdom, as a Christian, we, we are able to understand these these new treasures, these old treasures, and really that word treasure just brings us back around to the beginning, doesn't it? That we are seeking the presence of God and that this has been God's plan throughout the Bible. We understand this is something old and yet also something new that Jesus brings to us. All of this reminds us that God himself is the treasure that his presence is with us now, and one day the fullness of God is where we will be in his presence. And so that reminds us to let go of lesser things, to, to strive for righteousness, to strive to uh, grasp that treasure and treasure him more right now and be closer to him as we await what will be the new heavens and the new earth one day in his presence. So Jesus tells us this is the treasure this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we are thankful for how you teach us about your kingdom, that you remind us that it is a joyful thing. It is a good thing to know you, to be in your presence. We thank you that it is a, a thing that we gain, that we are gaining. We're not losing when we give things up. We're not losing or missing out on something when we choose to follow you, but we're gaining. We're knowing you more. We're gaining what true joy, what true happiness, what true life looks like. We pray that you will change our heart, to do the work in our hearts so that we will love lesser things less, and we will love you as our greater treasure more. God, continue to do that in our hearts this morning. If anyone has not made you their treasure. I pray that you would work in their hearts, that they would do that this morning as well. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.